We're in John chapter 16. We're continuing in the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. And uh, this is powerful. This is, this, is where, this is where the Lord is speaking to his own. He's speaking to those that he loves. He's leaving them, and he's just pouring out his heart to them. And uh, we pick it up in the 16th chapter in verse 7. The 16th chapter in verse 7. Now, I didn't have you stand last week. I let you, I let you off, and then I got emails about it, so you're going to stand. <laughs> we missed standing for the reading of the Word of God. So, uh, okay. Verse 7, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear right now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not only speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from me what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mind and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a while, you will see me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's say that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Father God, we're thankful for this, uh, this word. We're thankful for the privilege of, of living in a nation where we can open our scriptures, where we can preach the scriptures, preach Christ, him crucified, uh, share the love that we have for you, the love that we have for your word, and to be able to do it freely. And we pray, Lord, for, for those who watch over us, the, our leaders, Pray for their minds, pray for wisdom, for the things that they do and don't do. And pray for uh, uh, those who are uh, ministering to us in the state of Michigan and watching over our freedoms. We pray, Lord, that as we share today, that as we, we speak of, of Jesus and the Spirit of God, that it might be that which uh, just, uh, just wows us in terms of what God has done in Christ and the, the provisions he has made for our lives. And as we have just sung, the, the, the promise that we have, this promise that we have of the very presence of God. So we pray, Lord, that you be with us as we share together. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So over the years, in my life anyway, as a pastor and talking with people, in talking with someone perhaps about their faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ when they've asked for some assistance. And, uh, and I've heard people, as you have, I think, as well, say, well, you know, I'm really, I'm really not interested. I'm not interested in that. I'm, it's not, not for me. I, it has come to my understanding that there's really three possible barriers in people's lives when that happens. Sometimes the person just doesn't understand Christianity, doesn't understand what the teachings are about, or is upset about a particular aspect of Christianity. And this is typical, and this is a content issue. They just don't understand. Another issue is coherence. When you're speaking with someone, they, they understand Christianity, but they say, you know what? I can't believe this. It's not credible. I just can't believe this. Uh, you know, all these stories, all these things, just can't believe it. The third is the cost aspect. When people look at the faith, people say, I understand it, but, you know, my friends, oh, they're, they're, not, they're not on the same wavelength. Or, or I might have to give up something that's profitable for me. I might have to give up something that's pleasurable for me. And I've come to the conclusion there's another reason, and it's right here in this passage of Scripture where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. There are people who believe it, who understand it, and they're even ready to pay the price for it, but they're overwhelmed by it. They're overwhelmed by it. Listen, Christianity is tough. To live the faith is not for wimps. It's tough to live the life God calls us to live. They see the greatness of the Christian life, but they say, I want to, I want to, but it's beyond me. And that's what Jesus really is addressing here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night before he dies. Think about this. The night before he dies, he's about to leave them. In his last words, he's mapping out for them the kind of life that he wants them to live. It's a great picture. It's a great picture. He talks about love and he talks about courage and suffering and joy and peace. And in verse 6, the verse we didn't read right before we started, he looks at them and he says, but now I have said that I'm going and you're filled with grief. Now I've told you I'm going and you're filled with grief. What he means here is he has given them all the information about how to live the Christian life. He's modeled it for them for three years, and he sees them sinking. <laughs> he sees them sinking. They're overwhelmed by everything that's going on, and they're, in their minds they're saying, we, can't, we can never do this, we can't do this. I think a lot of people are there. A lot of people are there. There are people who have content problems. There are people who have coherence problems. There are people who have cost problems. But an awful lot of have a capability problem. It's too much. There's too much here. It's too glorious. It's too grand. So Jesus says, I'm not just giving you a blueprint. That's, and that's what he was doing. Actually, he's about to give a very astounding promise. He says, I will send to you a counselor. You need help. <laughs> you need help. 
I'm going to send to you the counselor. Jesus says the moment you become a Christian, you get the most deep, effective counseling possible. He says, I will send you a counselor, and this counselor is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He doesn't just give us the blueprint. He gives us the Holy Spirit because he knows we're going to sink. He knows we're going to sink. And what he says, now watch what he, what he does here. What he says, and you're going to miss this. You're going to miss it. Well, I want to stop. I want you to think about this right here. He says, look at verse 7. You have your Bibles open from you. He says this. He says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Did that amaze you? Does that amaze you? I mean, I didn't think so. <laughs> didn't amaze me either. I've read that a hundred times. A hundred times. But you haven't spent 15 hours looking at it like I have, so I'm going to help you here with this passage of Scripture. Here is what he is saying. Here, right here. And I think I can say everybody in this room to one degree or another, believes. To one degree or another, you believe. I've heard people over the years say, if only I had been there, right? Have you, have you said that? I've said that. If only I was there. Boy, I would have liked to, you know, if I, I, I had actually heard his teaching from his own lips, if I'd seen the miracles, if I had been Mary or Martha or, or put my brother in the grave, and Jesus comes, and I've smelled death, I've, the decay. The, the, three days later, Jesus comes with a word. Up comes my brother, and he comes and he hugs me. And now he's alive? And you say, if I was there, if I was there, if I had seen that. But Jesus says to the apostles who had been there, they'd been there, they had seen it all. They'd seen Lazarus get lit up. I'm going to put you in a better condition. Think about that. I am going to put you in a better condition. He has the audacity to say to his disciples, in spite of all the things that you've seen, you don't understand. Verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you I'm about to leave you, and it's for your good. It's going to get better. It's going to be better. I'm going to be with you better than I am now. When the counselor, the Spirit of God comes into your life, you're going to be greater people. You're going to be better people. You're going to know me better. You're going to be stronger than you've ever been before. You're going to have more resources available to you. You're going to live a much, much greater life. My dad always would say, he said, look at the disciples before Pentecost. Look at the disciples before Pentecost. The, 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 the turmoil, the, they were in disarray. And then look at the apostles after Pentecost. After the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's all the difference in the world. It's all the difference in the world. And yet we have the audacity to say, if I'd only been there, 
Acts 2 says to us, we have the ability to live a life at a level way beyond where the apostles were living. When all those people were actually seeing him with their own eyes. You can have more power, more confidence, more faith now. You could go back and and watch the resurrection of Jesus. And it would not be as good as what Jesus is offering. That's what is going on here. Do you realize the incredible, uh, what he's, how incredible this is? What he's offering? What's going on here? And I want to ask a question this morning. Is this good? Is this good? Is this comforting for you? Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you what it really does. It really means I have no excuse for living the level that I'm living. I have no excuse. And you don't either. You don't either. Whatever Jesus is offering here, and he is, if it's better than actually walking around on earth and watching him do the miracles and being there, it must mean that the level at which we ought to be able to live must be astounding. Think about it. He says, here's the counselor. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit. What's the goal of a counselor? Look down at verse 14. He says, I will take from what is mine and I will make it known to you. Okay, this is critical. I will take what is mine and I will make it known to you. Now let's just call him Jay. I've used him as an illustration before because he's such an interesting fellow. But he's been in the church all of his life. Grew up in the church. His mother and father were in the church. I knew them all. I knew the whole family. His wife and kids were in the church. Faithful, nothing unusual about the guy. Normal guy, like most of us. Just a normal guy. Good guy. So but before I get into that, what, what, first, what is a counselor? What is scripture saying a counselor is here? Jesus uses a very famous Greek word here that's translated counselor in verse 7. It's paraclete. Parakletos. Parakletos. It's a hard word. It's a soft word. It's actually two words. Kletos, which is a hard word. It means truth. To call somebody to see the truth. To exhort somebody. To help them to see what is truth. The Greek word para, parakletos. Para, you know, it's a para, or what's a para organization? It's a soft word. It means to come alongside. The academy at the church. It's a para-church organization. It comes alongside the church. Para, parakletos. To assist to come alongside. The Spirit is not just a teacher. He doesn't just come with information and start dumping information. On the other hand, he just doesn't come and say, oh, poor babies. Poor babies. You know. No. The Holy Spirit's job is to, is to massage truth. To put truth into you. To, to, to work that truth in so that you understand it and so that it affects your life. It affects who you are. The purpose of the counselor is not just to inform. Verse 15, 
it's clear Jesus says, I will leave and the Spirit will come and take all these things that I've been teaching you and make them known. You'll understand. You'll understand. The apostles had the truth already. They lived with him for, for, for three years. They had his teachings. They'd heard the, the sermon. On, they, they'd heard it all. They didn't because the Holy Spirit came. They didn't get the truth. They knew about the truth. They knew about the truth, but they didn't know the truth. This gets me back to my friend Jay. <laughs> and I can't take credit for Jay. Uh, he comes running into my office and says, Tom, Tom, Tom. Now, now remember, he's, he's a professing Christian. He's been in the church all of his life. He knew the Bible. If he sat down and you talked to him and said, we well, you know the scripture said, yeah, I know. The scripture said, yeah, yeah, I know. The scripture, do you know this about? Yeah, I know that. I mean, he's one of those kind of guys. He knew the scriptures, knew all about the scriptures. I know the Bible. Uh, and then he'd leave and be no different. So I remember I gave him a book. I didn't even remember what the book was. It's what I do with people I can't help. I just give them books. Here's a book. Read this book. Come and talk to me. <laughs> but something in that book struck a chord in his life. It struck a chord in his life. And I, and I, and I said, gee, what did I do? You know, it's like, like I did something. What did I do? But he looked at me and he says, you know, he says, you know how awesome God, he comes back. He says, do you know how awesome God is? Do you know how awesome God is? At Calvary, you know what he did at Calvary? You know what that was all about? That he died for me? Tom, and he grabs me, you understand? You understand how awesome this is, this gospel? You see, he knew it, but he didn't know it. But it came home. You get it? It came home to him. The truth finally touched his heart. And as a result, his whole life changed. I, I, I knew it wasn't me. I'm, I'm a very average counselor. What happened? Jay met the counselor. He met the counselor. He met the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me put it in a nutshell. Jesus says the problem in your life is not that you need uh, different circumstances. I need this. I need, well, I need, maybe I need to change, you know, whatever. Or I need new information about things. The problem is the, tr the truth you have isn't real to you. It isn't real. It isn't real to you. Jesus says, I've been telling you all these things, but only through the Holy Spirit you're going to understand it. He's going to show it to you. And I'm sure that the disciple says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You think we don't know things? We were here for three years with you. We walked with you. We know these things. We haven't forgotten these things. And then he says in verse 14, following in your scriptures, the Spirit will show you my glory. The Spirit will show you my weight. You know, we've talked about this before. The glory means weight. The work of the Spirit is to take what you know to be true and make it real. Take what you know to be true and make it real. And that's a big problem today. We got churches on every corner. We all know the truth. The guy who helped me the most with this was a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. 
Jonathan Edwards is, is called the greatest American theologian. He's a heady guy. You, don't, you, really, don't want to, you really don't want to read him. <laughs> Edwards looked out at his church. He was a pastor for a long time. He looked out at his church and he asked this question. He says, what's the difference between a nominal religious person and a real Christian? Someone that's excited about the things of God. What is the difference between a, a limping along a Christian and a strong Christian? And he said this. He says, the difference is spiritual reality. Spiritual reality. He says, for example, everybody believes in heaven. Everybody believes in heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. I mean, across this country, everybody's going to heaven. He says, here are all these people, all these Americans who say they believe in heaven. He says, but here's the problem. It's not real to them. It's not real to them. If you believe in heaven, he says, you would be incredibly generous. You wouldn't hold on to things. You would live a fearless lifestyle, joyful lives, and you would not be afraid of death. He says, people know the truth of heaven, but not, it's not spiritually real to them. It's not spiritually real to them. They have a concept, a concept of heaven, but they don't have a sense of the glory of heaven, of what it's all about, the reality of the weight of heaven. It's vague, it's, it's, it's misty, it's a concept in their minds. They're talking about heaven. Well, what does that mean? This is another example. Uh, you believe there's a creator. A creator. The vast majority of Americans believe there's a, there's a creator, God. Uh, Edward says, but take a look. Do people honor God? They say they believe in God, they honor God. Do they really see they owe God their lives and their very breath? They, do they understand that? No, they have a concept. They have a concept of the greatness of God in their minds. They know the truth in a sense, but it's not real. It's not real. What does that mean, it's not real? In other words, it's not something that they apply every day in their lives. Secondly, Edwards talks about the difference between a mature and a weak Christian. He says, if you're a Christian, you believe in the love of God. You believe in the love of God. But why do you always feel snubbed? Why do you always feel slighted? Getting upset that people have insulted you or they haven't noticed you or you're not put up on a pedestal, they've ignored you. Why do you get devastated by criticism? Because the love of God isn't real to you. You believe in the wisdom of God? You believe in the providence of God? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so worried about things? Because the wisdom of God, the providence of God is not real to you. Why do you do things in the dark? You won't want anyone to know about. Why? Because the omnipresence of God. I will never say, I will not leave you, I'll walk with you, I'll be with you. The omnipresence of God and the holiness of God is not real to you. And we look at our lives and we say, things are not right. I'm not close to God. I don't feel close to God. I need something. 
And so we, 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 we love to do this in this country. We love to go to seminars. Seminars on how to deal with stress, how to rearrange the priorities in our life. We go to seminars and say, well, I need these steps. There has to be some steps to take. This is especially true with Americans because we think our problem is lack of information. We just need more information. If we had more information, we'd, we'd be all right. What do I do? One, two, three, four, five. How is this going to work out? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, no, your problem is the information you have is not real to you. Think about it. The love of God, is it real to you? Is the cross and what happened at Calvary, do you feel it? Is it real to you? Is the wisdom of God real to you? His presence, is it real to you? Now, why is that important? See, the big problem in life is unreal things are real to us and real things are unreal to us. 30 years ago, <laughs> your parents said, you're worthless and you can't forget it. You're worthless and you can't forget it. But the Bible is absolutely filled with statements of love and commitment to you, and it's unreal to you. What controls you? What is spiritually real to you in your life? You need the Holy Spirit as counselor. In verse 13, he says, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Truth about God, truth about people, truth about life, truth about the world, Truth about you. What is true? What is lasting? What is forever? What is real? Jesus says the counselor is not just a teacher. He's not just, he's not just being sympathetic. He will guide you into all truth. Third thing. And here's what's so wonderful about this. It's in verses 14 and 15 that we read. We've already touched on it. He said, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I'm going to give you three methodologies. There's more, but there's three methodologies. I mean, basically, when we look at counseling that are out there today, you have a, a theory of, of, of what a, a, a personal self is, you know, you, who you are, your, yourself, who am I uh, as I live life, and, and how do I know who I am, and, and then... You know, how do I heal my personal self when things don't go? How do, I, how do I deal with things in my life? And I watch over myself. The traditional model, and this is fairly common, uh, says you, you, you know uh, who you are through your duties. And that's, that's traditional society. You know who you are through your duties. You find the rules, you do your duty, you submit to them, and then you'll know who you are. In a traditional culture, they don't even have counselors, but they do a lot of counseling. The counsel is, if you're having any problem in your life, lack of confidence, and you don't know who you are, do your duty. Do your duty. You're a son, you're a daughter, you're a member of a tribe, or you're a citizen, or a father or mother. Do your duty. And if you do your duty, you will have honor and you will have dignity. And that's what traditional cultures always say. The modern culture comes along and they began to change all this. This was in the 60s and the 70s. And they said, no, 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 we don't like that. We don't like that. 
The modern culture says how rigid that stuff is. No, if you really want to find yourself, look inside. Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. And that's still very much with us today. Follow your desires. You'll find yourself. It doesn't matter what your family says. It doesn't matter what society says. The postmodern changed even that. It, it, it gets worse. The, the third view of counseling, and there's a lot of ramifications of this today, says follow your dreams, but it depends. <laughs> what dreams? On Friday I had a dream, and on Monday I had a different dream. And on Tuesday I had, which one is real? Which dream do I follow? So the postmodern counselor won't be, he says you're not going to be liberated until you realize there's no core to anything. There's nothing you have to be true to. If you truly want to be liberated, the traditionalists are wrong. You don't have to be true to culture. The modernists are wrong. You don't have to be true to some essential inside stuff or dreams. And the postmoderns say, hey, do what works. Do what works. Your lover wants you to be this way? Fine. Your parents want you to be this way? Fine. You know, do what works. Be totally liberated. You don't have to be true to anything. And need I say that none of these work. None of these work. Traditionalists say do your duty. Modernists say follow your feelings. Postmodernists say do what works. Christianity says no. No. You don't find yourself in duty or in your feelings or your roles or your choices. You find yourself in your maker. You find yourself in your creator. You find yourself in Christ Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The truth has become a person. Miss Royals at Christmas. The truth has become a person. The reason Jesus can say, all that belongs to the Father is mine, and why the Spirit is pointing to me all the time, is this. Every other religion, I'm going to get, you know, people won't like this, gives you an abstract God. Think about it. Every other religion gives you an abstract God, a concept of who God is, but not a God who's real. Not a God who's real. Moses, remember Old Testament, he comes to God and he says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What is he doing? He's saying, Lord, I'm a human being. <laughs> I'm a human being. You, you told me about your glory. I heard about your glory, but you won't let me see your glory. You're not going to let me see this image. Every other religion has images. They have the idols they bow down to. Statues because they need something they can see. They need something they can feel. I'm a human being. I want to see your glory. Don't just tell me about it. Show me. And what happens? What happens? God says, no. No. But what he really means was, not yet. Not yet. In Colossians chapter 1, that great first chapter, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the icon. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, right? 
right? The image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1, 3, we're told Jesus is the very radiance of his glory, the expressed image of God's being. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, God made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want God to be real, the Holy Spirit does not just take abstract ideas and make that real. Holy Spirit goes right into history, right into life, right into Christ. The way you get spiritual reality is you have to know Jesus Christ. You have to know Jesus Christ. And we sing that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And then there's the scriptures. There's the word of God. It's what we're, we're, we read every week, the word of God. What do we see in the scriptures? We see the life of Christ. It's Jesus. It's about the life of Christ. We see Jesus saying to the storm, peace be still. That is the way the Holy Spirit makes real to you the power of God. That's the power of God. He calms the waters. That's the way we deal with worry. When we look at scripture, we look at Jesus Christ dealing with the woman caught in adultery and we see the love of God. We look at Calvary and we see him saying, Father, forgive them. We see the forgiveness of God. It's real. It's not some concept. This is a person. I have people who have said, I believe in the love of God, but I don't believe in Jesus. A lot of people do that. I believe in the love. Yeah, God's love. I mean, that's a common thing, right? Everybody says, oh, you get God's love. Believe in the love of God. And here's what you can say to that person. How often do you weep about the love of God? How often does that love of God at Calvary just knock you off your feet? Puts you on the ground. How often does the love of God overwhelm you in your life? And the person says, well, never. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because they believe in the love of God, but it's not real. Because it can only be real through Jesus Christ. All that belongs to the Father, everything about the Father, everything he is, is in Jesus. He is the expressed image of the Father, Scripture says to us. The Spirit's job is to show you Jesus and you will become a person of love, a person of poise, a person of confidence and sacrifice and wisdom and nobility. And the main way you change is you go to Christ. You go to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, and it's not even about trying to change people's minds and attitudes. You, you go to, you go to uh, never see Peter or Paul or, or, or Jesus uh, talking about world peace. You know? The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. The counselor says, until you see the glory, until you see the beauty of Jesus, I can't help you with that. Until you know him, I'm not even going to bug you. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. 
Christians should never go into the world and say, you know, you, 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 you need to be pure. Something wrong with you. Don't do this. People who understand the Holy Spirit say, look at Jesus. That's what we, that's what we do. We focus people on Jesus. Look at Jesus. If, I, if you don't see the beauty of Jesus, I'm not going to tell you to do this. I'm not going to tell you to do that. I'm not going to tell you to do whatever. Look at Jesus. That's how you change. Not because you don't do that, don't do that, and don't do that. You change because of Jesus. I mean, that's a real change. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart? Two things, really, there's, in Scripture here. There's conviction and there's glory. There's the conviction of sin, and, and that's a whole other sermon. And there's glory. Let me make it simple. The result of the Spirit in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. Right? We can go to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and patience and goodness and meekness and kindness. You read that in Galatians and you have this list. And at the very end of the list, Paul says, against these things there is no law. What does that mean? That's an odd phrase. Against these things there is no law. That's a puzzling statement. But this is what it means. Paul says the law only can be negative. The law can only be negative. If you believe like the traditionalists do, you have to obey all the rules. All that will do is keep you from, it will keep you from, it will keep you from, it will keep you from. But if you actually want to become a person of love and a person of peace and a person of joy and a, and a person that's meek and a person that's kind and a person that's all of these things that the fruit of the Spirit says, you have to see it embodied in a person. It has to become real through Christ. So we need to keep looking at Jesus Christ. That's what this scripture is about. Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but it's, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for you. And look at his life. Look at his teaching. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come down and make your way glorious. He'll take care of you. He'll watch over you. And you will change. And it'll be a glorious thing. And that's how you become yourself. That's how you become yourself. Confidence comes from the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. See, Christianity is organic. <laughs> I, was, I was interested when I was in the hospital and the doctors were talking with, with me about Mary and, and they, they were saying, you know, uh, her problem isn't organic. It's not organic. It means it wasn't physical. It wasn't a physical thing. They had checked all the, 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 the body, here, there, wherever. It's not organic. It's in the here. The problem is here. Christianity is organic. It's the body of Christ. It's who he is. He came, he lived, he walked this earth, he died, he was resurrected, he's coming again in person. It's organic. And that's what scripture is saying to us here. Christianity is organic and it's absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And I'll, and I'll close with this. Are you in counseling? I hope so. I hope so. With the counselor. The Holy Spirit. Let's pray. 
Father, we're thankful for the, the power of these scriptures. And yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of theology here. It's what we've always believed as a church, as a people. Truth. And we can say, yeah, we believe that, and we believe that, and we believe that, and yes, that's, yep, yep, we believe that. And Father, I pray that each of us has met with the counselor and that in Christ it has become real, that he walks with us and he talks with us and he tells us, you belong to me. And we find joy there and we find Jesus there and we find ourselves there and the truth about our lives. So we're thankful for this scripture, Lord. We just ask that you would apply it to our minds, to our hearts, and to our lives as we live for the glory of God in all the things that we do. This is our heart and this is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.